You're listening to the Metro LA Podcast, an official podcast of the LA International Church of Christ. Good morning, everybody. Robert Carrillo here at Metro Vision Studios. I want to say good morning to you all. Hello, Metro Region. Hello, friends, family, and wherever you're watching from, let us know. Hello uh, to our family up in the Bay Area. Hello, Milton. How you doing today? It's good to see every one of you, at least in my mind. Um, and I look forward to being able to have park services and house church services, Lord willing, soon. So I'm excited about that, and we'll be able to uh, see one another face to face. But as said, we'll be we will be continue doing these online for quite a while. So I want to welcome you back. We're continuing with our series, uh, Stories by Jesus, and um, you know Jesus. Uh, one of his methods of teaching was the use of parables. Last week I talked a little bit about what a parable is. Uh, just a great method of teaching, a great way for us to learn, and a great way for us to understand uh, deeper spiritual things, no matter where you're at. I mean, you could be a total beginner or somebody who's been around for centuries. Um, you know, you were one of the 30 would-bees or whatever, Um you can get a lot out of Jesus' stories, and we all can. And, and we're seeing that. We're seeing that, that generally they tend, tend to be very simple, but very true and very convicting, very cutting to the heart and inspiring. And I think you'll find today's pretty inspiring. We're going to study the parable of the banquet, uh, Luke chapter 14. That's where, that's going to be our text for today. And we'll jump right on in. Uh, let's go to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, and we're gonna, uh, we're gonna st- kind of get a running start. Um, the, the whole chapter is really important here because it all kind of goes together. I'll give you a word for the day, pericope, or per- yeah, pericope. And a pericope is, is a set of teachings. Oftentimes, the, the gospels are organized in pericopes. They, there, there is, uh, there'll be a theme, like the theme might be hearing and seeing. And so you, You'll see it organized where Jesus heals several people, but he also talks about being able to hear and understand and being able to see and understand the gospel and understand the things of God. And that's all together for a reason. Same thing that happens. Luke 14 is kind of like that. And you're going to see what the theme of this pericope is. And right in the, and right smack dab in the middle of this is one of the all time classic parables, the parable of the banquet. One that we, most of us, you know, if you've been around a while, you know this one fairly well. But I think there's some cool things in there for us to learn and to understand. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to jump in early because uh, we, the background's really important um, in this parable. So Luke chapter 14, and sorry, sitting down because I'm still not able to stand up. But thank you for the prayers. Appreciate the prayers. I am getting better, just not quite ready to stand for 40 minutes. Um, Luke chapter 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. So, um... This is a, it's an interesting introduction and it really, I'll be honest, I didn't even really notice the connection between it and the parable till years, till I've been a Christian for quite a few years. 
Um, it, it sets up the parable we're about to go into. Jesus is basically at a banquet. It's not the great banquet, but it is a banquet. He's a, it's a big dinner. It's a prominent Pharisee, which means he's a, a leader in the community. He's probably got, you know, a fair amount of money. So probably everything's really nice. Probably the food spread is pretty nice. Um, there's, there's probably a long table and everybody's sitting around it. Of course, in the first century, they sat on the ground. So it's not like a, like what we think of as a table. Um, there's things to notice here. I want you to think, think about this. Imagine the scene. You know, you, it's, it's a probably a nice place, like I said. Nice things, nice silverware or utensils, nice plates, nice spread of food. Everything is really nice. That's the scene. I would imagine a Pharisee, you know, if you've ever been to a wealthy person's uh, house that had you over for dinner... They, they, they have nice stuff and you can't, you know, as, as, as somebody once, a friend of mine once said, you just can't hide money. You know, I mean, it just, it shows up in all their things. Right. I, um, I remember one time I was, uh, in L- Lima, Peru, exploring the city to see if we could plant a church there. This was long before we had a church there. I was there with a few friends and one of them had a connection, knew somebody who knew the consulate of the Peruvian, of the American embassy in Peru. And they invited us over for dinner, um, which, thank God, because it, it was actually, in the, they were in the middle of an uprising, and there were soldiers and shooting, and that's a whole other story. But anyways, we go in to the house. It's guarded by Marines. We go in. Everything is beautiful. We sit down, and what we found out later was that she was practicing with us. We were going to have a, a a big banquet with a bunch of you know, high-powered people from around the country. So she did everything that she was going to do, but did it with us as kind of a trial run, kind of like a rehearsal dinner, which we loved because, you know, we got all this great food and great and great everything. But when we went in there, I was blown away by everything, the silverware, which was actually silver, the the plates, the the everything, the candle holders, Everything was just beautiful, very formal. There was two Marines standing in the room and, and we said, the four of us college kids, we sit down to eat, you know, we had a, we had a fun time, but whoa, was it nice there. This was nice for the first century. This place was, was, was probably well taken care of, very nice. So now imagine this. You're somebody who is probably not invited. This was this, this person that, that came. And he's suffering from what we don't know, but he's, it said swelling of the body. He's probably not looking good. Probably anybody can see that he's sick. Anybody can see that something's wrong with him. He positions himself across from Jesus. Imagine the, the shame, the embarrassment of coming in. I mean, usually if we go to a nice dinner or a fancy place, we want to look our best, right? We put all our nice clothes. We put our, we get ourselves all ready and looking good. And, you know, this, this is not some, you know, when we go somewhere nice, we don't go wearing our casual clothes. We don't go looking sloppy. We, we go to present. We always want to present our best foot forward, right? Our look our best, be our best as we walk in. Opposite of that is when we're sick and we're not feeling well. And we know we don't look good. And this swelling of the body wasn't something he could hide. Imagine how conscientious he was stepping in there and, and 
knowing that he's not invited, knowing that he's not supposed to be there. He comes in and yet he so desperately wants to be with Jesus that he positions himself across from Jesus. Imagine the courage that took. I mean, how embarrassing it would be to look sick. And, and you got to remember that in, in the in, in this time period, most of the time, if you were sick or something was wrong with you, people would have nothing to do with you because they don't want to break any of the laws of contamination. So you, you, would, be, you would be an outcast and people would not be a want, want to be around you and they certainly wouldn't want to sit next to you. I mean, I'm guessing the guy was sitting there and nobody was near him for at least a couple of feet around him and nobody wanted to touch him. And there was oftentimes a thought that if you were sick, it's because God was punishing you, which means you did something wrong. So it not only had the physical connotations, but it also had spiritual connotations. What was wrong with you? And so this guy's sitting there, everybody's probably, most everybody's dressed up, dressed really nice. It's a nice place. Everything is really nice. He comes in. And he's got to override his shame, the embarrassment of being in public when you're sick, of being in a place that's nice. The courage it would take to overcome your fear. And you don't know, you don't know for sure. I mean, he had no guarantee. What was Jesus' reaction going to be? Would he get thrown out? Would the owner of the house throw him out? Would the owner of the house probably, depending on how wealthy they are, they may have even had armed guards. And you just, you, you don't know. And yet, what he did know, and this is like the woman who came up and touched Jesus in the back. He knew that if he was close to Jesus, something incredible could, could happen. Something amazing could happen in his life. And so it was an incredible opportunity for him that he wasn't going to pass up. The opportunity to be close to Jesus. And so he overrode his fear. He overrode his shame. He, he took the risk just to be near Jesus. So you can see why this setting is so important. And of course, Jesus asked them, is it right to heal somebody on the Sabbath? He asked the, the Pharisees, of course, they're all probably, I'm guessing that a lot of the people are wondering, is he, is Jesus going to heal this guy? Because they, they all heard that he was healing people. They may have even already seen him heal or, or just at least heard about him healing people. And so that's on everybody's mind. Is he going to heal somebody? And also on everybody's mind is the fact that it's the Sabbath. And is he going to violate the Sabbath? Because the rules of the Sabbath were you do nothing on the Sabbath. You do not work. But really the practical application of that that people had was you do nothing. So I told you guys once before the story of when I went up the elevator in Manhattan and it stopped at every floor because, because according to Jewish tradition and Jewish law, pushing a button is considered work. So on the Sabbath, it stops at every floor automatically. And, and that's the way people were thinking in this time. And so if Jesus heals them, he could be violating the law. He could be breaking the traditions. So then Jesus asked him, he says, then he asked him, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into, into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. You see, there's a principle here that's important that Jesus is trying to draw out and show. 
He's trying to show something here. And of course, he healed the man. So he already, in their minds, broke the rule. He already violated the law by healing the man on the Sabbath. But he tells them, look, and I'm guessing that probably most people wouldn't think twice about saving their ox on or saving their child on the Sabbath because it's just kind of an exception. But he's trying to show them something really important. There's a natural tension between rules and law and love oftentimes happens. And people would rather obey the rules and especially the Pharisees would rather be known for devoted to the rules because that's an easy way to measure your religion. It's an easy way to measure your spirituality. This tension between rules and love, it's a classic tension that's always there. Most people love to be good at rules, but it's hard to be loving. It's just easier to be to obey rules. And so for a lot of people, religion is all about rules. Follow the rules. And if you follow the rules, you can feel good about yourself. You can say, I'm really good at my religion. I'm a really good Christian. I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this, and I don't do that. See, I'm a good Christian. And so it's easier to identify oneself by the rules that one follows. That's what was happening with the Pharisees. We talked about that last week. And where Pharisees came from and how they got themselves in a trap because they made so many rules to make sure they didn't violate God's rules. And then the rules they made up became equal to God's rules and they became more devoted to those rules than even to God's rules. What can happen to anybody when we get focused on rules? But the important thing is that we always understand why there are rules and why God prohibits something, and that's love. What's always matters, and I've shared before how the when, when religion falls to its most lowest denominator, its lowest level of its base level. It's all about rules. And for a lot of people, that is what their religion is. But religion at its highest form, it's all about love. And you understand those rules. And sometimes people ask, well, why, why did the Bible change from the Old Testament to the New Testament? It seemed like the Old Testament was all about rules and the New Testament's all about love. It's because that's the maturing process. When, when my kids were young, they weren't allowed to go outside by themselves. When they were four and five, they couldn't just run out the door. The rule was you don't go out the door. But then when they were seven, eight, they could go out the door, but they couldn't leave the yard. They, they couldn't leave the yard. And they had to come in when it got dark. That was the rule. But then when they were 12, 13, 14, 15, they could leave the yard. We had a park right across the street, but they had to let us know. That was the rule. So the rules changed, and now they're adults. They come and go as they want, and I can't say, you know, you have to be in by dark or anything like that, but the rule, in one sense, never changed. The rule was be safe. That was the overarching principle, but the rules adjusted to where they were at, but imagine if I wouldn'tly kept applying the same rules and not understanding that they're going to change and grow. And that's why we have to understand that where love guides us along. So if I love my kid I'm, when they're four, they're not going to go out the door. But if I love my kid when they're 16, they're going to go out the door. I'm just going to ask them to be careful about certain things. And as an adult, they'll come and go as they want. But the rules, if there's a rule in my house, it's, it's be safe, please. Take care of yourself. The rule adjusts 
But it's always there because of love. And love guides me along. And love guides the rules along. When Jesus, Jesus quoted this, this verse, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quoted it twice to the Pharisees. And both times it's when he, they accused him of breaking rules. Because he wanted them to understand. He went, one time is when he went in and ate with Matthew the tax collector, because you're not supposed to eat with sinners. And he was clearly a sinner. And another time is when he was crossing the field and the, and his apostles picked wheat, which you're not supposed to do. I've talked about both those times already. But they were so caught up in the rules. It's like today when protesters go out marching and, and, and sometimes they break the rules. And everybody gets mad, but we have to stop. And it's not, and let me make this clear. It's not that it's ever okay to break rules. Love doesn't say, go ahead and break the rules. But love understands how to deal with somebody who's breaking the rules. How to properly deal with something. And in Jesus' case, he wasn't actually breaking God's law. He was breaking men's laws, men's traditions. And he told them, I desire mercy not sacrifice. Why are people so angry? That's a question that love would ask. What is hurting you so bad? Why are you so upset? It's easy. We all know it as a parent. It's easy to just come down. Why did you do this? But the question really is, why did they do this? What's wrong? What's hurting? What's, what need isn't being met? Not, again, not that it excuses any of them. Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Matthew 23, we studied that already when he, when he, when he scolded them for, for obeying all the tithing rules, but missing the bigger, the weightier, the heavier, the more important matters of the law. Love, justice, mercy faithfulness, the things that really matter, the things that are based on love. So Jesus is setting them up to teach them something really important here, really important about love and how love works in our religion. Not Again, not excusing rule-breaking, but helping us understand how to deal with these things and a very important lesson for us. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or brothers or sisters, your relatives or the rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. So Jesus tells them to... Not just invite the people who invite you back or the people who can repay you, but invite people who can't pay you back, who can't give you something back. Don't just give though to those who can give back. Give to those who can't give back. I would imagine that that was very embarrassing for the Pharisees. I'm guessing at that table there was a lot of prominent people. And this guy that he healed who had been feeling probably embarrassed and really bad even being there, he held up by staying, saying the statement, he's saying basically, that's the guy who needs to be here. That's the one who should be here. 
So what does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about Jesus? That God wants everybody included. That God, that God values every life. Every life. Part of the reason people are so angry, there was a, there was a few weeks back, there was a march for thousands of women in downtown London because a woman had been arrested and beaten and, and horribly abused. And they were so upset. Why? Because we understand that everybody's life matters. Why were people on pins and needles about this recent trial? Because people want to know that life is sacred and will be treated as such. And it shouldn't matter what color somebody is. Whether they're black or white or brown. Whether they're Asian or Hispanic or, or African American or white American or any. It, that shouldn't matter. Because all life is sacred. And Jesus was challenging them with their understanding of this. Because we all know... You know, we have a dinner. Who do we want to invite? We want to invite prominent people. It makes us look prominent. We want to invite the right people because they make us look better. We want to hang out with the right crowd. I mean, it's major and it starts early from probably preteen years. It gets really intense in high school. But it's and, 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 it, and I think it goes down some, but it stays with us. That we want to be seen with the right people, with the in crowd. And we have that. And Jesus' message was very clear. Everybody's important. And that's good news because that means he wants you. He wants you and you're included. You're included in that. Everybody is to be included in God's banquet. And now he tells us, well, he's, it's still not quite totally set up, but he's going to tell us a parable. It says, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So this man sitting there says, you know, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. Okay, it's, blessed is the person that's going to be in God's feast. That gets to be part of what God is doing with God's kingdom. They all knew that God's kingdom was coming and it was going to be incredible. And by the way, this is not the study of this, this parable, but the kingdom is not heaven. It's more than that. It is the kingdom of heaven, but it is the kingdom of God. And it's the kingdom that we can be a part of now. Not after we die. And that's a whole nother study, but the kingdom is a, is a wonderful place. It's where we, it's where God's will is done and practiced. It's to be part of that kingdom is wonderful and it's amazing. That's what he was saying. Blessed is a person who gets to be part of, of the feast of the kingdom of God, who's going to be blessed by the things of the kingdom. Another study, but he understood this is going to be fantastic. And so Jesus, begins a parable. Why? Because it's on everybody's mind. I wonder who's going to get to be at the feast in God's kingdom. Who's going to be invited to that banquet? Who gets to be there at the table with God? Who gets to be part of what God is doing? 
And so he says, at the time, he, he tells the story, and, and classic, you know, parable starts with a certain man, a certain person. There was a person. Kind of like today we would start a fairy tale. We'd say, once upon a time, that, that, just that phrase, a certain person, a certain man, a certain, that, that just kind of introduces that you're going to hear a parable. So a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So he's, so he's setting it all up, right? This, this, the banquet holder who would be God in the parable has set everything up. God has set everything up for us. And then it says, but, okay, he invited them all, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. They all said excuses. The people, and obviously these are prominent people because they're landowners, they're business owners. They have a lot going on. They're busy. And then you got the guy that just got married who's just in love and that's the only thing he can think of. And he has no desire to do anything else. Never mind, they could have just brought his wife. But just not getting the priority or the blessing of this. Because that's really what they're missing here. The blessing of being in the kingdom of God. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So he sends them back out there. So the usual guess that everybody would think of is the other prominent people of the village, the, the other, you know, whatever, you name it, educated, talented, sharp, whatever you want. Now those would be the first to be invited, of course, right? Because that's what everybody would want at their party. Well, they didn't come. They all made excuses. They were too busy, too preoccupied with other things and other priorities. So he sends them back out to invite who? The poor the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The people that nobody normally invites. The people that nobody normally thinks about when they're doing something special. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of of my banquet. So he sends him back out, the servant back out there to make sure he invites everybody and specifically the poor, the blind and the lame. And he says he wants his house to be full and the servant does it. So that's the parable, very short parable, very meaningful parable. He says something really key at the end. I tell you now, one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And he's talking about the original invitees, the ones that were first invited. So the people that were too busy, they will not get to partake of the banquet. So here's some questions to draw it out. Why didn't everyone come? Why didn't the guy with the property come? Why didn't the one with the oxen come? Why didn't the one newly married come? Why not? Why didn't they understand how valuable and how important this is? 
Now we're talking a parable, right? Remember, a parable is a physical story meant to help us understand a spiritual concept. Something really important. What is he really talking about here? He's talking about God inviting us to his banquet, to his kingdom, to his feast in him, in all his blessings. And you can say, well, wouldn't everybody know? Wouldn't everybody accept the invitation? But we know that's not true. We know that many times when we're invited, when we were invited to church, we didn't want to go. When we were invited to read the Bible, we didn't want to read it. When we were invited to prayer, we didn't want to pray. We weren't comfortable with it. And who knows why? Maybe because we just thought ourselves so important. Maybe because we just weren't thinking. We're so caught up in what we're doing. We're so caught up in the busyness and our own importance. Maybe we thought ourselves so awesome that we don't need God. We don't need to read our Bibles. We don't need to pray. Of course, that always changes quickly when somebody gets sick or somebody gets hurt or you're on a plane that's bumping around and you think it's going to crash. All of a sudden, everybody sees their need. Everybody, when we suffer, who do we turn to? We turn to God because we know that God is bigger than us. But when we're thinking that we're so big and we're so important, we don't see our need. And that can happen to Christians too. Remember, these parables were not said to atheists or non-believers. These were said to God's people. How does that happen to us? We just get so busy in our own things. And we don't see the need to keep learning the Bible, to keep learning about God, to keep sowing to Him, to keep growing in Him. What are the things of the banquet for us? A great marriage, great relationships, great friendships, a feeling of fulfillment, knowing you're doing what's most important in life, great understanding of how you can help peace being able to have peace, being able not to be afraid of the world, being able to be confident because you know who you are and you know exactly why God put you here. Those are the, that's the feast of the banquet. Those are the blessings of the banquet. But when we don't see that, we don't see our need. We think we're fine. Don't really need all you guys. Don't really need the church. And we miss the invitation. And it's an amazing invitation to knowing God and knowing Him and being with Him. Now the question is, how does He feel about that when we have no time for Him? When we're too busy with our own things? When we're caught up in things? And you notice the things that <clears throat> cause them to turn, it, turn them down. Property, work, and a relationship. And we think that those three things are going to fulfill our life. Having stuff, doing stuff, and having the right person in our life. And the fact is it doesn't meet all our needs. It doesn't fulfill us. 
Not completely. Not that those aren't great blessings. Those are wonderful blessings. But God has much bigger blessings for us in his kingdom and understanding his kingdom and knowing him. Now, how did God feel about them turning him down? He was mad. That's the story. That's the parable. The owner of the house became angry. He had prepared everything. God prepares everything for us. He sets up the church. He puts wise and spiritual people in key places to keep the church moving forward. He provides wonderful friends. The question is, do we really take advantage of that? Do we, do we accept that invitation? He invites us to know him better and better and better. He invites us, us to be grounded in him, to be filled with the spirit, which produces what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. But we're too busy oftentimes running around doing other things. And not seeing the priority. And how does he feel about that? Makes him mad. Of course it would. When he's prepared everything for us. Why would he invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame? Of course, and there's where you've got the key to this parable. Obviously, they understood their need. Obviously, They were grateful for the invitation. They understood what a blessing it was. And they were not deceived by the world or by the things of the world. They understood what a blessing it was to be able to even be part of the banquet. And that's the message of this parable. Is do we understand how great a blessing it is to be invited to know God, to be invited to be close to God, to be invited into the family of Jesus. And what a great thing that is. And yeah, it's, it, it means heaven and it means salvation. And that's awesome. But even in this life, when we really partake of it, it means great relationships. It means finding peace in troubled times. It means finding the power to overcome all that Satan throws at us. From depression, loneliness, addiction. It means having help available all the time. It means being surrounded by God's love. And do we value that? Do we get it? Do we understand how great that is? If we were in that setting, which would we be? Would we be the person sitting there sick? Would we be the Pharisee thinking he's all that and probably showing off all his goods? Where would we be in the story? Here's another, here's some more important questions. What has God invited you to? What is he inviting you to? And and, and this isn't just for somebody tuning in that knows nothing about God or the Bible. This is for us who've been around forever. This is for us who've been around for a little while and us who just came in. What is he inviting you to? What invitation have you received? And what stops us from accepting that? From really knowing Jesus and really knowing God? 
What gets in our way of growing spiritually and advancing spiritually and letting God change us and become all that we are, all that he has designed us to be? And probably one of the most important questions, who's the poor person, the crippled person, the blind person, the lame person? We already know God wanted everybody there. You know, the obvious meaning of this parable is when God invites you, don't turn it down, right? When God is trying to give you something, don't turn away from it. But there are several other lessons hidden in here. Who's really the poor person? Really. Do we deserve salvation and heaven? Or perhaps we don't really have the righteousness. We cannot really earn our own salvation. Maybe we're the poor person. Maybe we're the person that doesn't have what it takes to get into heaven. That hasn't done enough good. That hasn't been perfect. Maybe we're the crippled person or the lame person. Or maybe we're the one that has not seen God and not seen all that he has done for us. Maybe I'm the blind person who has not seen what God has tried to show me. Maybe I'm the one who's lame because I've not recognized God's hand and responded to it. Maybe we're the ones that are blessed to be at the feast of the kingdom of God. Maybe we're not the wealthy ones. Maybe we're the poor ones. Maybe we're not perfect. Maybe we're lame. Maybe we don't have what it takes to buy this ticket. Maybe Jesus will pay it for us and make a way for us to be there. Maybe Jesus will heal us and make us better because we're sick, because we're blind, because we're lamed. Maybe in this story, we are not the rich ones, but we're the ones that Jesus pulled in. Maybe we're actually the ones that he sent the servant out to find and and compelled to come in. Maybe that's us. I think, I think that's a deeper message in this parable for all of us. And sometimes we don't think that we're the richest and most powerful. Sometimes it's even the opposite. We think we're so bad, we're so lame, we're so crippled that we shouldn't be here. We shouldn't be with all these good people. No, we are the very people that God is trying to bring to the banquet. We are the very ones that he sent his servant after. Parable the banquet. Simple, powerful, and deep. I want to close out with this story. Story of the diver. It's supposed to be a true story. I don't know. A guy was at a Christian camp. He was listening to a message. He was listening to a message of the cross. He didn't get it. In fact, he snuck out and went drinking with some buddies. He was a diver. He was actually a, an outstanding diver. 
probably on his way to the Olympics. Incredible. And he got back to the camp drunk with his friends. He went over to the pool area by himself. He wanted to go swimming. He wanted to go do some diving. He broke into the building. He didn't know where the lights switch were, but it was dark. But he could see enough that he climbed up the ladder to the top diving board. And he got up and he was about to dive in. He put his arms out there and he saw the light. The light from the moon was hitting on on him and he saw the shape of the cross. And it was basically his shadow. And it suddenly hit him what it was all about. And he just started crying. And he climbed back down and he was sitting there crying and thanking God. And then somebody with a flashlight came in. They opened the doors. They had the keys, clearly had the keys. You could hear the keys moving. He opened the door and he opened the box with the lights. He turned on the lights. And there was the man sitting there crying, the young man. What he did not realize was that the pool was empty. There was no water in that pool. Had he dived, he would have killed himself. But that moment saved his life. That moment made him realize what a blessing God had given him. And that realization saved his life. And then you say, well, that's, that's just a little story. But no, that's how it works. When we understand how valuable God's invitation is to us, when we appreciate and we respond to his invitation, then we begin to understand the feast in the kingdom of God. The feast that we all enjoy. So, what a great story. What a great lesson for us. What a great parable of Jesus. With that, I leave you. God bless you. When coming. You've just listened to the Metro LA Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit metrolaregion.com 